It's my honor to have Bishop Lance Johnson in the house today. Would you stand to your feet? Help me welcome the lead pastor of Relevate Church, Bishop Lance Johnson. Right around 8.58. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise in the house tonight. He's worthy, church. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, I believe you got a radical praise left in you tonight. Come on, I know you're grateful for where he's brought you from. I know you're thankful today that he reached way down and found you where nobody else would find you. Come on, he's worthy. He's been the healer of your marriage. Come on, your way maker where you thought there was no way. Come on, your refuge, your strength, your strong power. He's worthy tonight, church. Glory to God. Excited to be back with you tonight. I'm always honored. It's such a refreshing night when I get to come to the North Georgia Revival. I want to just take a moment before I jump into the Word. If you want to be turning your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 16 tonight, I want to just take a moment and say at week 299, I'm excited uh, to be here for all 299 weeks on and off. It's been an honor to be a part of this revival uh, from its beginning. And, And what I want to do tonight is just give tonight honor to Christ's fellowship, to the people that labor so much every single week. 299 weeks of committed, devoted prayer that is relentless. People that have stayed up till five or six in the morning baptizing. People that have labored and vacuumed the floors. I've been in here at the end of meetings when they lasted so long that the cleanup crew was vacuuming the floors and we're still praying for people. Guys, it takes a lot of labor and a lot of love and a lot of honor to God to host 299 weeks of global revival. And I just want to honor Christ Fellowship tonight and the faithful people that have labored in the presence of the Lord, not because they had to, but because they wanted to honor the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Would you take just a moment and help me to honor all the faithful people that have made this revival possible Let's let them know we thank them tonight. We appreciate their labor of love. Come on, thank you for every extra hour you prayed. Thank you for vacuuming. Thank you for washing the scrubs. Thank you for working so diligently. Thank you for staying till the wee hours of the morning in the waters as people are being healed. Thank you. I appreciate all the people that that make this revival possible. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. Tonight, I normally don't title messages, and I'm not really preaching a sermon as much as I'm just delivering a word the Lord gave me the other night in my hotel room, and he just dropped this in my spirit. I'm going to deliver a few few points that the Lord showed me because I believe there are people in this room tonight that desperately need Jesus. How many of you know that there can be people that desperately need the Lord, they just don't know it? I'm gonna say that again. There can be people that desperately need Jesus, they they just don't know it. And I'm gonna pray that tonight God is gonna open eyes all over this building and that people are gonna see their need for him tonight. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. 
and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, everybody say, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Being in torment, he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou that in thy lifetime thou receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to, to you cannot, and neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come to this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they might repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Father, I thank you for the revelation of your word. God, I thank you for the anointing, God, upon all of our hearts and our ears that we may spiritually hear what you would speak to your people tonight, God. Thank you for the anointing on the frailty of this clay flesh that I may speak the word, Father, in a way, God, that will absolute penetrate the heart of every person in this room that you would have your will and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to bring your attention to five things that Lazarus had while he was here on this earth, excuse me, that the rich man had while he was here on this earth. Number one, I want to bring out that he had wealth for himself to the point that it made other people desirous of what he had. Now that's not a bad thing, but I'm, I'll bring out my point in just a moment. He had resources, he had goods, he had stuff, he had a home, he fared sumptuously every day. And there's nothing wrong with being rich. The, the Bible doesn't tell us that, that money is the root of all evil, but it does tell us that the love of it is the root of all evil. But you know, sometimes we can get so busy with all of the things that we're blessed with that we're so busy making money, we're so busy trying to manage our money, and sometimes we're so busy spending our money or enjoying our money, we don't really have vision of what's going on around us, that maybe we're so preoccupied with what we have that we don't see what is really needful that is around us. So I want you to see tonight that he had wealth. Let me, let me bring 
bring you also to Revelations, if I might, tonight, chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. There was another generation of people called the Laodiceans. They were believers. They were devout followers of Jesus. At one time, they had been in revival, and they were on fire and accomplished many great things in behalf of the Lord. But the Bible says that Jesus writes to them in verse 16, and he said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you are lukewarm. And the reason that they were lukewarm was described in the following verses when the Bible says that they, the Bible said, because thou sayest I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. In other words, he looked much like this rich man. They had need of nothing. And he says to them, knowest that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It's a possibility that we can think we have everything when in the eyes of God we don't have anything. I need to say that again. It is possible for you to think that you have everything you need, even to the point that people desire what you have. But in the eyes of God, really, you don't have anything. And the scripture goes on, and I, I, want to, I want to bring that to attention. The next thing that it says is that all of his needs were basically met because he fared sumptuously. There was no needs in his life. He didn't feel the need for anything. He felt comfortable in the place that he was. But because of that, there were some other attributes that he had in his life. He had no concerns for those that were around him that were less fortunate. I need to say that because every day while he was busy doing whatever he did, he walked by a beggar that laid at his own gate every day. A man that laid basically at his front door. When he would go into his house, he would have to walk by a man who was begging, not for his wealth, not for his fortune, but simply for a crumb that would fall from his table. Anybody with me? Is it possible that we can become so satisfied and so fulfilled and so caught up in what we have that we don't even actually see the needs of those that are begging around us? Is it possible we could go to work every day and walk right by the drug addict that's begging for deliverance? That we could walk right by the broken hearted woman who's trying to raise her children and her husband's having an affair and she don't know how to deal with life and out of her brokenness she's weeping and crying out for help but because we're so busy managing all of the blessings that we walk right by them every day. That we walk by the people that are hurting and the people that are broken. Not only did, did, did he not have, now watch this, not only did he have a, a, a in this life uh, so much that he did not see a need for the less fortunate, but he seen no need to show any mercy while he was in this life. There was no need for him to have mercy. How I many of you know there's some people that just feel like they're okay? Because they live a pretty good life. They live well. They do good. They're better than the dope addict. They're better than the guy who's selling her, or the woman selling her body on the corner. Anybody in here with me? Well, I'm better than so-and-so because at least I'm not a sipping saint. Uh-oh. Can I just really be real tonight? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm better than they are. You know, I hadn't slept with that many people. Well, I'm better than that. At least I'm delivered from Marlboro's. I don't cuss like they cuss. 
There's a lot of people that just really don't think they need mercy in this life. They think I'm a good person. I pay my bills. I pay my dues. I do what's necessary. I take care of my family. Look at my children. Look at my wife. Look at our boat. Look at our house. Look at our cars. We're good people. We got the things we need in life. I work hard every day. I tell the truth. I'm honest. And they really don't think they need mercy. And in this life, he's seen no need for mercy in his life. Not only did he see, he didn't need mercy, but he did not think that Lazarus laying at his gate needed mercy as well. And the next thing I want you to notice, and I'm almost done with this, is the fact that he had no ability in this life to see the hurts and the wounds of those that were around him. Because not only was Lazarus hungry and was he a beggar, but the Bible said his body was full of sores. He was full of brokenness. And the Bible said that the dogs came and licked his wounds. Isn't it amazing that we can walk by people every day and not see their wounds, but yet the dogs. And in the scripture, the dogs represented the unsaved world. It represented those that were not in a covenant. Can I tell you, for every broken and wounded person that's in the world right now, for every homosexual, struggling right now because they were molested most of their life. The dogs came and licked their sores when the church turned their nose up at them. I want to preach in here today because we were so we were so annoyed by their sin we, we didn't hear the backstory of what put them in the condition they're in. We're so busy pointing our finger at the needle in their arm. We didn't know that they got molested when they were three years old and that their, their mama's boyfriend raped them repeatedly up until they were 16 years old. And then we wonder why they put a needle in their arm trying to find some kind of self-medication for the brokenness and the pain that they're living in. My God, it's easy to point your finger at that woman that's sleeping with everybody, but you don't know the backstory of how her husband cheated on her repeatedly and walked out on her and left her to raise her children on her own. She was rejected by her father, and then we wonder why she finds comfort in the first man that shows her attention. Oh, I need to preach in here tonight. Because see, we walk by the bleeding and the wounded and we walk by the hurting every day, never understanding why they're bleeding. But let me tell you something, the dope dealers are licking their wounds. The world is licking their wounds. But the problem is the attention they're giving them is bringing infection to their brokenness. My God, the attention that they're giving them is not helping them. It's only killing them. Let me give you an analogy of what I'm talking about tonight. You got a man that's going through a separation with his wife. And he's struggling and he don't know what to do because his marriage is in conflict. And maybe he's not been the best husband. But maybe she's not been the best wife. And they're battling and they're struggling in their marriage. And along comes the dog called the co-worker. Come on, Bobby, let's go to the club tonight. Come on, let's go down here. Man, you deserve a night out tonight. Let's go down here and drink some Jack Daniels and shoot some shots. And let's go down here and do a little coke. And while we're at it, we'll find another woman to ease the pain. Somebody say the dogs will lick the wounds. While we've been judging with our long noses and our long fingers pointing, the world's been licking their wounds. I need to preach in here tonight. 
I, I need you to understand that 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 the rich man never saw the wounds on the man. He never saw a need to call a doctor, to find a minister, to somebody to heal him. And because he didn't see it, the Bible said the dogs licked the wounds. And the Bible said eventually Lazarus died and he was taken by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now I don't know about you, but I believe that if he's in Abraham's bosom, and we may call it the holding realm of the dead, but I'm going to tell you, I believe he looked up there and saw him in heaven. I believe he looked up and saw him in paradise. He saw him in the realm of God for the first time. Anybody with me today? You see, I believe in Abraham's bosom. I don't believe Abraham's in hell. I don't believe he's rotten in a grave somewhere. I believe he was in the bosom of Abraham. And by the way, if you believe that Abraham's bosom is some other place besides heaven, I wonder how he swapped grave sites. Just a thought. Just a thought, if you're still laying in the grave after you're dead, how do you swap grave sites? Hello, somebody. That means he's living after he's dead. I need to preach it here tonight. I said he's living after he's dead. I need you to understand one thing in this room tonight. I don't care where you're lost or saved. You are going to live after you die. You're going to live in one or two places, and this scripture tells you you're either going to one place, you're either going where Abraham's at, or either you're going to a flame where there's torment. And it doesn't matter how much preachers don't preach about it, I promise you hell is just as real as heaven. And the Bible says that, that, that the rich man went to the grave. Everybody say to the grave. And then the Bible said, and in hell. Everybody say in hell. I don't know about you, but it didn't say that they took uh, uh, Lazarus to the grave. It said they took him to Abraham's bosom. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day I take my last breath because I know one thing, I sure ain't going to the grave. I know there's something that awaits me greater than some dirt on top of the casket, somebody. I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I just wonder if there's some believers in the room that understand that I've got eternal life. I've got everlasting. I got life. My God, I'm living for that place. I don't know about you. This is not my life. This is not my world. I don't belong to this place. I belong to a heavenly kingdom, somebody. This world ain't nothing but my pilgrim. I'm a pilgrimage. I'm here today, but I may be gone tomorrow. My God, where's a church that lives for eternity? Where is a church that believes in the heaven they preach about? is a church that is in a betwixt between the two like Paul was whether to stay here with you or to go be with him boy it got quiet on me today because the truth is most of us in this room ain't living for eternity we're living for this world the truth is we're doing the opposite of what God said we love the world I'm going to say it again we love the world We love the things in the world. We love our life more than we love the thoughts of eternity. Can I tell you there needs to be a church that got so close to Jesus that we'd rather be with him than we had to be here. Well, that's just hyper-preaching, man. 
Well, the apostle Paul said he was living in that realm. What's wrong with creatures that have set the example of how we ought to live? But the Bible said he was in hell. Everybody say in hell. See, because between this life and hell, something changed. For the first time in this man's life, somebody say he looked up. Say it again, he looked up. And when he looked up, everything changed. Can I tell you, everything changes when your vision changes. See, that's the problem. The Bible said in John chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible said a man must be born again. And if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me say it. You cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means you can't perceive it. You can't understand it. It don't make sense to you. That's why we got so many people in the church today that don't understand the kingdom of God because they've repeated prayers. They've gone through the ceremony, but they don't understand the will and the purpose of God because they went through a ceremony without being born again. And unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Can I preach in here tonight? Let me tell you what that means. That means if they had to drag you to church and make you want to worship God and make you want to hear the word of God, it probably means you're lost. It, it probably means you don't know him because if you knew him, wouldn't nobody have to beg you to be here? Oh, I said if you knew him, nobody had to make you read your Bible. Nobody had to beg you to pray because when you get born again, you desire the things of God. You see the kingdom. God, we're trying to pastor people that ain't born again. We're, we're trying to pastor people that repeated a prayer and took a bath, but they've never had their spiritual eyes open. And because we wanted your offerings and we wanted you to fill our pews, we didn't say nothing. Because we were living for our vision instead of living for the king. So the vision became more important than the king and therefore your salvation did not mean what it should. Can I make a statement to you tonight? It's possible for you to love your prophecies more than you love the God of the prophecy. The problem is we worship our prophecies instead of the God of the prophecy. See, when you love the God of your prophecy, you don't have to chase your prophecy because you know the God that gave it to you has the integrity and the power and the authority and the, and the, and the uh, character to bring your prophecy to pass without you having to chase it and violate every biblical principle to have it. And because we are vision chasers, prophecy chasers, we filled our pews with people that they don't have the heart of Jesus. If I'm full of the Holy Ghost, then I'm full of the heart of Jesus. If I'm full of the Holy Ghost, I'm full of the desires of God. I need to preach it here tonight. 
If I'm full of the if I'm full of the Holy Ghost, I'm full of the love of God that I love what God loves. For God so loved the world. I'm going to say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, can I preach in here today? Because if I love God, then I'm going to love sinners. If I love God, I'm going to love the lost. If I love God, then I'm going to be, uh-oh, I'm going to be like the good Samaritan. I'm not going to be like the priest. Are y'all hearing me? I'm not going to walk by the guy laying in the ditch that's crippled and go around him because I don't want to deal with his nastiness. I'm going to be the good Samaritan, and I'm going to stop and get the man out of the ditch that's wounded and bleeding, and I'm going to pour in the oil and the wine. My God, I need to preach. Because, see, when you're born again, you can't walk by broken people. It becomes your business. You can't walk by the hungry. It becomes your business. It bothers you to ignore the needs that are around you. Wow. Somebody say being in hell. It was an eye-opening experience for him. I'm not preaching mean, church, but I'm telling you, I'm preaching to wake people up. I'm on an assignment from the king, and it's to get people in the church saved. It's to pull you out of the blinders of religion that said, I'm good, Bishop, all's well. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm wealthy. I have everything I need. If you got so much Use what you got to heal other people. If you got so much Pentecostal power, there's some crippled people that need to be healed. If you got all you need, then I know some demon-possessed people that need your excess of power. I know some folks in this room tonight battling with cancer. If you got so much, how about give us some? Well, we're good, Bishop. We got all we need. I'm here at revival. I'm good. I don't need to show up six nights a week to pray, Pastor Todd. We're good. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And you don't even know who's sitting three chairs down from you. You didn't know that there are people sitting in this room right now that walk through these doors thinking, God, if you don't show up in my life tonight, I'm gonna walk out these doors and blow my head off. There are people sitting in this room that said, if God doesn't heal me tonight, I've got nothing else left to live for. That there are people right now days away from dying from terminal diseases that have come through these doors and they're hopeless believing God that he's going to meet them in the water tonight. But that's none of your business because you're good. I'm good, Bishop. I, I just come for a good sermon. I wanted to get blessed tonight. And the Bible said being in hell. Everybody say being in hell. It's amazing how our surroundings can change our perspective. But the problem is it doesn't matter how much you change in hell, it won't do you any good. 
Because if you wait till you get to hell before you get your eyes open. But see, the problem is in hell, he saw what he should have seen in this earth. Because in hell, notice what the first thing that he saw. He got a revelation of heaven. And he looked up seeing Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Somebody say he got a revelation of heaven. See, when you get a revelation of heaven, you, start, you stop living for the right now and you start living for eternity. See, right now you're not worried about eternity. You're not worried about salvation because you're just trying to make it another day. But when you get a revelation of eternity, then you understand I have to make a decision right now about my eternity. That what I've got going on presently in my life is going to have to take a back seat for me to take care of my eternal destination. Come on, the church has got to get a revelation of heaven again. we got to get a revelation of eternity. We're so busy preaching about the God of right now that we forgot to warn people about a literal heaven and a literal hell. Wow. Woo. We're not preaching like somebody's life may end tonight. Y'all didn't hear me. We're not preaching to get people saved because tomorrow they could be in eternity burning in hell. We're not, we're not anxious about preaching heaven to our kids. As a matter of fact, the church don't want to hear sermons about eternity. We want to hear messages on prosperity. Uh-oh, I, I, I feel that wall. I'm going to preach right through it, honey. That's my job. I feel the kickback. Well, preacher, you're just one of them hellfire damnation preachers. I don't listen to them screaming, spitting, hellfire and damnation. My God, give me somebody that tells me about my best life right now. Give me somebody that tells me how it's going to be a tiptoe through the tulip and I can have a cuter dog and more money in the bank. Tell me somebody's going to preach positive atmosphere. Positive karma. Don't talk to me about, don't, don't kill my vibe preacher preaching about hell. Don't kill my vibe preaching about eternity because I'm loving life right now. Uh-oh. The next thing that he had was he looked up. He got a revelation of heaven. And then all of a sudden, he got a revelation of mercy. He said, Abraham, have mercy on me. Somebody say, have mercy on me. See, he never saw a need for mercy in his life. And now he needs mercy in his own life. He never saw a need to give Lazarus mercy. But now he's crying out for mercy. You see, it's a different perspective when you get in hell. It's also a different perspective when you get born again. See, there was a reason Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus. That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Everybody say enlightened. You see, God's got to change your, your spiritual understanding. Your spiritual eyesight. That you have a need for mercy. Everybody say mercy. See, everybody wants to show judgment, but nobody wants to show mercy. But the Bible said God's mercy is new every 
morning. Let me give you one more illustration. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 3, the church that said we have need of nothing. We're good. We're wealthy. We need nothing. You know what he told them to do? Go get you some eye salve and anoint your eyes because God needs to open your eyes so that you can see the thing that you need to see before you get to hell and have to have a wake-up call. The third thing that he saw, and I'm about done. The third thing that he saw in hell was he said, please have Lazarus come dip his finger in the water. Somebody say in the water. Because see, the problem is while we're in this life and we're so full and drunk on this world stuff that we see no need for the living water. But yet Jesus' message was come and drink. You that have no money, come and drink. You that have to come and drink of the water of life freely. He said to the woman that was at the well, he said, woman, if you would ask of me, I would give you the living water. You see, she was busy trying to chase a water that wouldn't satisfy her from one man to another man until she's got five broken relationships. And the Bible said that the man she's living with was not her husband. And Jesus was trying to get her to quit drinking from a well that would not satisfy her. But in this life, she didn't have a revelation that there was a living water sitting in front of her. That if I drink that water, I don't need the dope no more. I don't need the lustful relationship. If I get a drink of that water, I can throw the water pot. My God. Somebody say living water. Where's the revelation of the living water, church? Listen, I drank from the waters of Jack Daniels. I drank from the waters of absolute vodka. I drank to the waters of white liquor. I drank from the waters of Crown Royal. I drank from the waters of Miller Lite. I drank from the, and I ain't saying the other one, I drank from the wells of the strippers. I drank from the wells of methamphetamines. I drank from the wells of cocaine and they were very deep. I need to talk to somebody in this room. I drank of the wells of wealth. I drank of, of the wells of indulging in every kind of pleasureful thing that this world could offer. But I'm telling you, September the 2nd, 1990, I drank of a different whale. It was not the whales of Jack Daniels. It was not the whales of this world. It was not the whales of lust and adultery and fornication. I drank of the whales, and it was not the whales of cocaine. I drank of the whale that had the living water. I became a partaker of everything that Jesus Christ did. And when I drank of that whale, I never went back to the old whale because he who the Son sets free is free indeed I want to know if there's still a church that ain't ashamed or afraid to preach what the message of the cross really does for somebody's life We're afraid to tell people he'll really stop.
stop you from going back to them old wells. I got two more things. I'm going I'm to finish right here. Here's probably the greatest one, and I may not get past this one. The fourth thing is, he said, Abraham, send Lazarus down to my father's house. Send him down there. I got some brothers. I got five of them. Say five. He said, please go send Lazarus to my brothers. Please go send him to my family. At least they come to this horrible place of torment. You see, right now, you'd rather teach your children to play soccer than to make sure they're actually saved. It's terrible that you got time to take them to every baseball game, but you can't sit down at the kitchen table and teach them the Word of God. It's terrible that they can quote the, the backfield of the Georgia Bulldogs, but they cannot even tell you the books of the Bible. It is terrible that they know what a Louis Vuitton is, but they didn't know that it's their assignment according to Mark chapter 16, to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, that they shall cast out devils in my name. They don't know what it said in the book of Acts chapter 2, that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. My God, what's wrong with this church? We're not raising our babies to be saved. I'm going to close with this story. I was on a, a drug-infested rampage. I had so lived and indulged in the world. And I'm in my home, in my country club. I wasn't a, I wasn't a, I wasn't a, a single wide trailer in the middle of the woods with no electricity, drug addict. I wasn't living in some, some abandoned building with a needle hanging out my arm. I'm sitting in a $600 recliner in a country club higher than a Georgia pine. And I'm broken because of the wages of sin that's in my life. And I'm done with living and Lisa and I are fighting and we're arguing and I'm done. And I grabbed a bottle of pills and I said, I'm done with this thing. And I poured them pills out and I popped them in my mouth. And Lisa began to call 911. I said, if you call them, I'll kill your graveyard dead. Don't you touch that phone. My determination in my mind that day was my will was to die because that's what the wages of sin is. You keep living in that mess and sooner or later it's going to steal your desire to live. It's going to rob you of your family. It's going to rob you of everything that ever had value in your life because sin will take more than you're willing to give it and it'll take you further down a road than you've ever want to go. You better not play with it. You better not jack with it. You better not let it in your life because it's coming for everything. Yeah. 
my wife snuck in the kitchen that day and she called my brother. And you've heard my testimony before. My brother was the first person in my family that got saved. And my brother got really saved. We were like Methodist saved, Baptist saved, non-denominational saved, but we weren't born again. And I'm not saying that all Baptists are not born again or all Methodists are not born again, but I'm telling you there's a lot of people that shook the preacher's hand and took a bath and they're on their way to hell because they've never been born again. And nobody in my family that I really know of was born again until my brother and his wife got radically saved. And I hated him with every fiber of who was inside of me. I hated him because every time I got around him, he told me I was going to hell. And I'd say, don't you judge me. Because the only scripture that a backslid or non-Christian knows is don't judge me, lest you be judged. If you quote that scripture regularly, it's because you're lost. It's because you don't know God. Because the people that are trying to save you, it feels like judgment to you because you know that in your heart you're not saved. And I'd shake my fist at him. I'd say, don't you judge me. I'm saved. I just snorted an eight ball of cocaine. I just put $1,000 in a stripper's garter. I'm saved. I just drink a fifth of Jack Daniel. I'm saved. Don't judge me. I'm saved. I get it. It's called being lost. When you're lost, you don't know you're lost. Not until some loud mouth spitting preacher gets right up in your grill and confronts you with truth you can't run from. Not until the Holy Ghost sets down on you and begins to deal with you, and for the first time, you go, maybe he's telling the truth. And I'd shake my fist at my brother. I'd threaten him, you don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. Couldn't stand to see him come into the family dinners. God, there comes them religious nuts again. They're in an occult. They got brainwashed. You ain't, it don't take all that. You ain't got to be so fanatical. Why you got to carry your Bible everywhere you go? Why you always got to talk about Jesus? There's other things in life. Sounds like most Christians, don't it? I have a real habit of ministering to the people everywhere I go. It's my way of life. I minister to the people that check me out. I minister to the people that serve me food. Is this okay? I like to talk to them about the Lord. I don't just accuse them of being lost. I ask them, how are they doing? What can I pray with you about today? And you know, most of them will break down and cry and say, will you pray for my mama? Will you pray for me? I'm going through this. Would you pray for my children? They're struggling in school until I get to a Christian. I asked a lady at the Cracker Barrel the other day, I said, ma'am, I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray over my food. Can I pray with you about anything? She shook her little pad at me, and she said, I'm a Christian. Look on my notebook right here. It said, I prayed this morning. I don't need your prayers. Right out of the heart of somebody who's under conviction. 
And in a few minutes, laying there in that recliner, my brother busts through the living room doors. And he runs in and falls down beside the recliner. And he's weeping. And he's crying. And he's saying, little brother, I love you. Little brother, you need the Lord in your life. I come to pray for you. He's crying. He said, I, I drove over 100 miles an hour all the way up here. He said, brother, I prayed to that. I said, God, you can have my salvation if you'll just save my little brother. You can have it. I just want my little brother saved. Please save my little brother. He ran over a dog. He was driving a Nissan Maxima. He ran over a dog while he was coming. While he was coming there, he told me the story. He said the dog went up over the top of the car. He said, I was so scared. He said, I was driving so fast, I just had to get here to my little brother. Where's that kind of brokenness in the church? Where's that kind of hunger in the church that we would pray what Paul prayed? I'd be a curse from Christ for the salvation of my kinsmen. Come here, Mark. Come here. I need you to come here. I want you to see the reality of why I'm preaching the gospel tonight. Because that man that said, God, you can have my salvation if you'll save my brother. And somebody that got saved enough to love their lost family, that would love their family enough to witness to them and love them enough to lay in the altars. I'll never forget, his pastor was named Brother Gann. And I'll never forget that after I got saved, I picked up the telephone and I called South Canton Church of God. I said, I want to speak to Pastor Gann. And I told him, I said, I want you to know my name's Lance Johnson. I'm Mark's little brother. He said, let me tell you something, son. He said, your brother and his wife laid in the altars of our church and they wept and cried and prayed and wept and cried and prayed over your salvation. I want you to stay on your feet. I'm done. I need you to look at me, church. We better get our eyes open before we have to get them opened up in hell. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20, not, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my father can I tell you we're so busy living this world living for the stuff living for ourself living for our own agendas living for self-centeredness I need you to look at me if you're living for yourself you are not living for Jesus I know that some people think I preach way too hard but I'm going to tell you, we better get some preachers that's got backbones. We better get some preachers that ain't ashamed and ain't afraid of the people sitting in their pews. Because I'm going to tell you something, I'm not going to let one person go to hell.
on my watch if I can help it. Because there are people all over. They have no concerns about other people. They have no concerns about what God has concerns for. Some of you right now, you're like, Bishop, that's legalism. Well, there's an account in the Bible, and you can read it for yourself, where the Bible said there's going to be goats on one side and sheep on the other. And when he banished the goats to hell, the question that came out of their mouth was, Basically, why? And his story was this. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was in prison and you did not come and visit me. I was a stranger and you never took me in. I was naked and you never clothed me. And they said, when did we see you, Jesus? you walk right by me on your way to church to go shout and praise the Lord you walk right by me I was naked and you didn't see me you were so busy being religious and living your life for you you walked right by him and he was begging at your gate they were lost and you saw no need to tell them about Jesus you saw no need to bring them to church you just said well they're not going to come I've invited them before and you just went on living life as if their eternity didn't matter anymore I need you to hear me church and he said when you did it to the least of these when you ignore people you're ignoring him I didn't write that it means what it says and it says what it means and it's not that we didn't see them and you know here's the sad part about religion sometimes this is the sad part to make us feel better about being too busy and too unconcerned we throw a $10 bill at a, at a homeless man to feel better oh yeah to feel better about our conscience See, God ain't just trying to get your conscience. God wants you to see the broken people around you. Because when he died for you, he died to heal you, deliver you, set you free. So that you become the vessel that he uses to set other people free. To heal them. To restore them. To see them redeemed. He sent you to be the testimony. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Being in hell, he lifted up his eyes tonight all over this building I'm asking people to lift up their eyes if you're in this room tonight you'd say Bishop I'm lost I'm broken I'm hurting I'm the guy laying outside the gate and I'm bleeding I'm bound I got shackles all up on my life right now and I don't know how to get free I bleed and I need to be healed tonight I'm lost and I need to be found. I'm the prodigal in the pig pen. I walked away from God and I'm lost in this pig pen and I want to come home. I know that God has something better for me than where I am. And I just want out of the mess and I just want out of the pain. I just want to come home. 
I want to run back home to where my father's at, but I'm afraid I've gone too far. I come to tell you, prodigal, you've not gone too far. This is your night. I come to tell every person in this room that's been blinded by religion, that's been to lay out a sin church that said, I'm good, preacher. I don't need nothing else. I'm fine. I've got everything I need. But your eyes have been blinded. I brought some eye salve tonight. I brought the answer for you to escape the bondages and the restrictions of religion that made you comfortable in that place. I come to tell every person in this room tonight the power of God's in this house for you to be redeemed, for you to be born again, for you to come home and run to the arms of the Father. I believe that right now He's running towards you because in your heart you've done made up your mind. I'm coming home tonight. There's a sinner in this room right now wishing that I'd hurry up so you could get to this altar because you've made up your mind. I'm getting healed tonight. I'm going to get saved tonight. I'm getting delivered tonight. The demons are getting out of my life tonight. I want every man and woman in this room, I want you to pray it if you would with me right now. In about two seconds, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you're in this room and you're backslid or you're lost, or you've been a you've been a layout of sin, you've been a you've been a lukewarm Christian, and you've been hidden in the bondages and the blindness of religion, and you're ready to come home to the Father right now. Come on, intercessors, I need you praying right now. I'm gonna count to three, and when I get to three, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise it as high as you can. I need you to get it in the air. I need you to raise it up, be bold, be courageous. When you ran for the devil, you ran for the dope, you ran with everything in you. My goodness, I'm asking you tonight to go after God with all your heart. Are you ready in this room? In the count of three, I want you to get those hands in the air. If you're lost tonight and you need it, and you're not going to wait till you get to hell before your eyes get open, you're ready for God to open them tonight. I want you to get those hands in the air. Are you ready right now? One, two, three. Raise them up, raise them up, raise them up. All over the building, raise them up. Every man, every woman, every person in this room say, Bishop, I'm lost. I need him in my life. Come on, raise them high. I see him, I see him. Come on, I want every person, every person in the room, every prodigal that's walked away from God, I need you to get those hands in the air. Every prodigal that needs to come home, would you get those hands in the air? Every one of you has got your hands in the air that you raise your hands. I want you to lift up your head. I want you to look at me right now. Just those of you that raise your hands, I need you to look at me right now. I need you to look at me all over the building, every one of you. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to count to three one more time. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you to come home tonight. I'm going to ask you to come home to the Father. I'm going to ask you to come to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to run to redemption. Run to the fountain that flows from Emmanuel's veins tonight. I'm going to ask you to run to an altar where you're going to surrender your life to God, where a father is going to meet you, and your life is going to be forever changed. You say, Bishop, why not go to go to that altar? Here's why. Because he said, if you're ashamed of me before man, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. If we don't get it right in salvation, we'll never get it right as followers. He needs a generation that's unashamed. If we're going to start this thing, let's start it right tonight. He said, if you'll confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father. 
So tonight, all over this building, at the count of three, if you're in this room and you raise your hand, I want you to get out from behind your seat, and I want you to get down here to this altar as fast as you can. If you got to run, I want you to run. If you got to walk real fast, walk real fast. But don't you let the devil keep you in that seat. Are you ready right now? One, two, three. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. All over the building. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, all over the building. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. There's still others. Come on. Some of you should have raised your hand. Come on. Some of you should have done it. Come on. If they can do it, you can do it. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on, backslider. Come on. Come on, religious person. Come on. Just begin to minister to them right here. We're going to pray together all over the building. Listen, Pastor. Can I have? Can I have two? Can I? Can I? You don't have to. I understand. I need you to look at me right quick. I've never given an altar call with the heaviness that I feel in this room right now. Never. I've given thousands of altar calls and I've never given one with the burden that I have right now at the end of this altar call with this many people in the altar. There are so many people out in this room right now. I'm telling you, you're hiding. You're hiding. You're hiding behind religion. You're hiding behind a profession of faith that never brought a transformation in your life. I've been that man, so I know. I need your help tonight. How many of you in here want to see everybody in this room saved that needs to get saved? Would you agree with me? Can I have your help tonight? I need your help tonight. I want you to help me, and this is how I want you to help me. There are still people in this room that need to be in this altar. And I can't walk out of here tonight and not knowing that you could have been here and should have been here, but you didn't because I didn't do everything I could. So I want every person in this room right now I want you to do me a favor and I'm going to ask you with, with courage and with the love of God, not with laughter because you don't know the condition of the heart of the person next to you. I want you to turn to the person next to you when I ask you. I want you to take them by the hand and I want you to look them right in the eye. I need you to look them in the eye. It's very important. And I need you to ask them, do you need to be in that altar? Now listen, when you ask them if they need to be here, they might just tear up. They might just shake their head, yes. And if they do, I need you to do me one more favor. I need you to take them by the hand. I need you to help them down here tonight. I need you to walk with them and be their friend tonight. Would you do that for me? Turn to the person right now next to you. Look them in the eye. Say, do you need to be in that altar? Do you need to be in that altar? Do you need to be in that altar? Here they come, here they come, here they come. Bring them on, bring them on. Bring them on all over the building. Bring them on, bring them on. They're coming, they're coming. Bring them on, bring them on. I'm telling you, there's others. Go ahead, just tell them, okay, I need to go. Come on, take me, take me, take me. I need to go, I need to go. Come on, come on, come on, just be okay. Bring them on, bring them on. It's okay, it's okay. Just bring them on. Bring them on. Bring them on. 
still coming, church. They're still coming. They're still coming. Come on, you still need to come. There's still time. Come on, ask them again. You need to go. They're coming, Pastor Todd. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. The harvest is coming. I can't pray this prayer for you but I can pray it with you I feel that Pastor Todd listen Pastor Todd's feeling what I'm feeling y'all feel it too don't you listen do you know what God will do he loves you so much he'll stop a, he'll stop a prayer to say one more time one more time because it's his will that none should perish. I need your help one more time. There's somebody hiding behind the mask. And I need you to turn to him one more time. Somebody needs that encouragement right now. One more time. Pastor Todd said one more time. Turn to him and ask him one more time. Ask him to come. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Come on. Come on. One more time. Just tell him yes. Just tell him yes. Come on. Quit fighting. Tell the devil no more. No more. No more. Pray, church. Pray. Pray. Come on. There they come. Come on. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Come on. Come on. Just get out behind that seat and take off. Come on. Run. Run. Tell the devil I'm done. I'm done being lost. I'm done being bound. I'm done being broken. I'm in the game no more. I'm running to the hands of the for you but I can certainly pray it with you if you'll repent make it real tonight turn away from that old way of life and turn to Jesus if you'll believe in your heart that he died for your sins and if you'll believe that and believe that on the third day he rose again and if you'll confess it tonight I'm telling you God's going to meet you in this altar he's going to open your eyes and everything in your life is going to change tonight all over the building, I want you to pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, come on, tell him right now. Heavenly Father, I repent. I turn away from my old way of life. I'm done with it. And I turn to you, Jesus. 
I believe you died for me. And I believe that on the third day, you rose again. And tonight, I receive you, Jesus, and the blood you shed for my forgiveness. And I receive you as my Savior. And I surrender to you as Lord of my life. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. No matter how difficult, I'm going to follow you. If I fall down, I'm getting back up. No matter if I struggle, I'm going to follow you. If people make fun of me, I'm going to follow you. If people reject me, I'm going to follow you. From this day forward, my life belongs to you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for saving me, changing my life, opening my eyes. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to give God some praise in this house tonight. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I need to tell you. I need to tell all of you something right quick. Pastor Todd's going to come. We're going to open up the waters right now. I need you to hear me right now. What God just did in your life is a miracle. Believe it. Your life is never going to be the same. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 said, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now here's what you need to do. Listen to me carefully. You need to bury that old person. Bury him. Where do I bury him? Do I go by a graveyard plot? No. You go over there and you get in that baptistry right there and you bury that old man and that old woman until she or he is graveyard dead. That's what water baptism is. It's buried with Christ through baptism into death and raised to walk in the newness of life. Bury that old person. Here's the next thing you need to do. You need to get in a, in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church and don't get out. There's going to be hypocrites there. There's going to be people that ain't going to do right there. But you don't go for them. You go for him. And you stay in that church and don't you be moved. You go every time the door's open. Can I get an amen? You go get you a Bible. Come to Pastor Todd. They'll help you. Will I'll help you get you a Bible you can read and understand. If you can't read good, get it on your phone. Because there's an app called the Bible app that it'll read it to you. But you get in the Word of God and you start reading and you start growing. And every day you wake up and you follow Him. Every day you submit to Him and live for Him every single day. If you fall down, get up. But you follow Christ from this day forward. Come on, make welcome Pastor Todd as he comes.